It's good to be back together. Uh, we've actually got a live stream going on today, so if you are watching or listening at home, welcome. It is nice to have you joining us. But I think we've, we've missed this for the last six weeks. You know, it's, it's been a big six weeks for our city, for our province, for our nation, for many of us individually. And I think almost not having one another, just the encouragement of fellowship and the people of God gathering like this, it's, it's a big thing. Uh, we need it. We, we need one another. And I think one of my hopes from this last year and a half, as unpleasant as so much of it has been, is that almost an indelible mark would be left on each one of us about the importance of Christian community, our need for the people of God, our need for one another, that this would be something that we value, something that we need, something that we prioritize, and something that we're marked by, actually the importance of something that probably many of us had taken for granted for a long time. About um, a year and a half ago, almost there already, um, we went into level five lockdown. And we had that first unique hard lockdown that we faced. And I remember we had a deacons meeting coming up during that first few weeks. And I thought, ah, man, we'll just cancel this one. You know, we can't meet in person. Let's just let it go. And then we decided, you know what, let's, let's do this over Zoom. We'll adjust. We'll do something different, which is so funny because now that feels like such a, an old-fashioned normal part of life. Then it was like, oh, yeah, we'll do something different as a team. We'll meet on Zoom. And we got together and we discussed um, three ideas. It's from an article I'd read by a guy named Andy Crouch, just saying, is what we're facing a blizzard? Sorry, a snowstorm, a blizzard, or an ice age? A snowstorm, a blizzard, or an ice age? And now, for us in Durban, we don't understand any of those things, so it seems irrelevant to us. But the idea that he was trying to get across is a snowstorm is something that within a few days it passes. You know, it might be intense, but you kind of bunker down, and you get through it, and you move on with life. Nothing changes. A blizzard's a bit more intense. Could last for a couple of weeks or, or a longer period of time. But again, you kind of bunker down, you innovate, you do what you have to do, you get through it, and then life carries on as normal. But then an ice age is a completely different thing. Now again, we know nothing about this, but when an ice age hits, everything changes. You've got before and after the ice age. You've kind of got this change to things. Nothing will be the same, or a lot will change after that. Things will not be the way they were before that ice age hits. And for us, we had those three weeks, and then five weeks, and then almost a year and a half, and a lot's happened in all of our lives. Some of those things we know, some of the things we've just missed, and the craziness of what's going on, just jumped between big milestones in our lives, and our community, and, and what's going on with each other, and we've just carried on. And the short sprint that we had of three weeks has turned into a long-distance endurance race. I think a lot of us are tired. Then the events of two weeks ago, I think, just hit us hard again. I can't think of the number of people tonight already who wanted to talk about that because it's what's on our mind, and we haven't discussed it in person like this. So I know a lot of people are feeling drained, frustrated, worn down, fatigued by this long-distance marathon that we seem to be running as a people globally. So tonight I want to try and encourage us a bit. And I'm not going to do like a rah-rah thing because I know that could work well. You know, kind of the candy floss effect. You leave here going, woo, I'm ready for another week. Let's do this. But then on Monday morning, you're like, why was I encouraged? I know I felt good leaving, but I can't remember the substance of what I felt good about. So I'm hoping to give you some substance to remember as we go out of here. And I really wanna just hinge everything tonight around this question, and it's very simple. It's what do you see? What do you see? What's in the windshield of your life right now? What, what is filling your vision 
What, what is in front of you? What are you discussing? What are you thinking about? What do you see for the future? What do you see? And I want to read this passage, which is definitely a good Olympic period passage, but it's got nothing to do with us being in the Olympics. But in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3, it says this. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Or other translations say, lose heart. So what does this passage have to say to us tonight? Well, that first verse or first word there is the word therefore. I know we've talked about this before, but it's pointing back to Hebrews 11 and everything that goes on in that chapter, which is the chapter of faith in the Bible. If you've been around the scriptures for a while, Hebrews 11 gives us a definition of faith, examples of faith. There's kind of this great definition, but also this great cloud of witnesses. And we get these stories, these, these unique faith races of people that have run their race. They've lived their lives. They've followed God. They've served him with their lives and have gotten to the end. And now the writer of Hebrews says they are like this cloud of witnesses, like the stadium of people cheering us on as we live out our faith, as we serve God, as we run the race that we've got. They are cheering us on. And this idea of faith in Hebrews 11 that these people had that we're called to live with is about reliance or trust on God. I think like I come out of a Pentecostal and charismatic background. So when I heard about faith, when I thought about faith, when I thought about faith, it was almost like this supernatural power bar next to you that was either full or empty or somewhere in between. If it was at the bottom, you're not going to see God do much. But if it's at the top, woohoo! when you pray, things happen. You're expecting like special stuff to go on. But that's not the Bible's picture of faith. The idea that we see in Hebrews 11 and in the scriptures is that our faith is trust. It's reliance in the object, not in ourselves, not the subject, not, not the subjective kind of moving idea. Maybe a good example is we've all got a friend who we love, who we love to be around, who we care about deeply, we want them in our lives, but we know they're not reliable. And I know you're thinking about that person now, or they're coming to mind and you're going, ah, I hope it's not me. But we've got those people who we care about, but we would never trust with something really important because we know they let us down or they let us down often. So if it's something important, we're going to give it to someone else that we know. We know they're not going to let us down or we'll do it ourselves. And this is why our faith in God is about trust because we know what God is like. We know who he is. We know we can trust in him. We know he is faithful. We know he is a reliable, unchanging, consistent God. So he's a good place to put our trust and our reliance. We, we put our faith in him. And in Hebrews 11, we see this list of all of these men and women, Abraham, Moses, Sarah, Noah, Rahab, all of these people and their stories of relying on God and trusting in him and living by faith in their unique individual stories and challenges and the realities that they face. They walked with God in their lives and then their race came to an end. And what we see here, particularly in verse six, is that their faith, their trust in God is commended 
Actually, we see here that this is how we please God. I think most of us in this room desire to or want to at least know more about what it means to please God. And we see in Hebrews 11 that we please God with faith. If we live by faith, we please God. Now, I've been married to my wife, Michelle, for about nine years, and I want to please her. You know, I want to make her happy. And I think about this like, I don't know if you've thought about the life you want to live, the person you want to be at the end of your life, what you want people to say about you. But I know for me, on my deathbed or at my memorial one day, I would love Shell to say, honestly, I loved him. He was a good man. I'm proud of him. I'm so grateful we were married. You know, you don't want the opposite. And that can happen at the end of someone's life that a spouse goes, I'm free, you know, I'm out of that, I'm safe. I want Shell to say, ah, we lived a good life together. He was a good man. He loved me well. I'm pleased with him. I commend Grant, you know. I want to live that kind of life. I want to be that kind of man. I want us to have that kind of marriage. But more than I want to please Shell, I want to please God. That God looks at my life and says, you know what, Grant? You've got my commendation. I'm so pleased with you. You know, I, I love you. I, I approve of you. Not that we're doing all of this stuff to earn God's love. I think as a church, we know that we don't earn God's love by what we do. That we're not trying to win God's love or his pleasure in us. But actually, because of how amazing God is, we, we want to live a life that pleases him. You know, we've been pleased by him. We've been loved by him. We've been amazed by him. And because of that, we want to bring him pleasure. We want to hear his commendation one day because it matters to us. What God thinks matters to us deeply. So that's, that's what this idea is like in Hebrews 11 of faith. That's the therefore that we get at the start of chapter 12, this long context that we come into this chapter with. But then we get told by the writer that we must run with endurance the race that lies in front of us. And we've been running a race for the last 17 months, or whatever it is. We've been enduring. We've been continuing. We've got to, you know, each day get up and you keep going. But what strikes me about Hebrews 12 is that it's speaking about all of this race that we've got, this unique race of faith that we each have, but it's reminding us of this crowd of witnesses around us that are cheering us on. These men and women of faith who have done this already and they finished their race. Because we want to finish the race. We don't just want to run some of the race and give up and grow weary and stop and bail and pull out. We want to finish the race. And these men and women in Hebrews 11, they've done it. They've done it. They finished it. They did what God called them to do in their time and then they were finished. They pleased God and they were done. They overcame their challenges. They ran with endurance the race that was marked out for them. And now they're in the crowd saying to each one of us, you can do it. I believe in you. We're cheering you on. You've got what it takes. Come on. And that's huge. The heroes of the faith, the saints of the past, cheering us on. And they face some big giants. They face some huge obstacles. They face persecution, martyrdom, pandemics, riots, economic crises, political crises, violent opposition to the message they preached and lived. They faced it and still they finished the race that they had to run. Now they encourage us to do the same. I don't know how many of you have watched the Olympics. I haven't gotten really into it this time. But if you have seen any of the clips, there are stadiums that are absolutely empty with just these pockets of people, like, I don't know, clusters of 10, 20, kind of supporting their country or their people. And it feels so sad. I mean, imagine training for 15, 20 plus years to get to this. This could be the peak of your career. 
You know, especially if you're going to win, you could win a gold medal, but it's at the Tokyo Olympics 2020, and you've got no one in the crowd to cheer. There's no buzz. There isn't that atmosphere of people cheering and supporting and encouraging you to do it. It's just kind of crickets going on all around you, and you're running the race of your life. And that's kind of what is going on in Hebrews 11. You know, we don't hear this great cloud of witnesses at all. They're there, they're cheering us on, but we don't hear their applause. We don't hear them saying, come on, you can do it. And I watched um, Schoenmacher and Corbett finish the 200-meter breaststroke final. They get out of the pool, you know, uh, Schoenmacher, she set a new world record. She's won the gold. They're walking out of the pool. They're so excited. And they go to a little screen, and there are their families, you know, zoomed in by, I don't know, the Olympic organizers, cheering for them from some lounge somewhere, I assume somewhere in South Africa, cheering for them, saying, well done. And they see their family, and they wave, and then they move on. We're in the same boat as we run the race that God has called us to run. We run with endurance, that we don't necessarily hear the voices, we don't necessarily see the cheering that is going on for us. But Hebrews 11 tells us that there is a great cloud of witnesses, saints of the past, heroes of faith, angels, and God himself cheering for us as we run the race that he's got. I've shared this before, I know Chris has shared this, others have shared that Jesus for 2,000 years has been praying for you and I. I think a few weeks ago we said in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God inside us is praying for us and praying the prayers that we don't know how to pray, those grown prayers because of what we see in the world around us. God is praying for you. You're being encouraged and applauded and supported to keep going by this great cloud of witnesses. What an encouragement to each one of us. We want to finish the race that we've got. So how do we endure especially when we feel like we've been enduring for a long time and when we're feeling tired or traumatized or weary or fatigued. Well, the first thing this passage tells us to do is to lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles. The idea here is that obviously no athlete is going to go to the race of their life with weights or a backpack full of stuff or whatever it is that is going to slow them down or wear them down. You know, I've never shaved my legs, but I believe many of the athletes do that. They try and get rid of every bit of resistance they can with those really tight outfits to just optimize their performance so they can get the medal, so they can win the race. And that's what we're being called to do too. Optimize our performance. Whatever it is we can do, whatever is slowing us down or holding us back, remove it from our lives from our thinking, from our choices, from our actions, behavior, whatever it is, get that stuff out of the way so that we can finish the race God has called us to run. Because sin hinders us. Sin holds us back. Sin makes what God has called us to do difficult. Sin makes our lives difficult. Sin is not passive. I think sometimes we think that, you know, that's definitely a lie Satan would love us to believe. Sin is not passive. Sin is not innocent, it's not cute. Sin is aggressive and on the offense because it wants to take us out. I'm sure you guys have had this before where there's like a puppy in the house and it's running around your legs and you're carrying something and you're worried you're gonna trip and fall because the puppy, it's being playful, wants to be nice and cute and all of those things, but you're worried either you're gonna stand on it and hurt the dog or it's gonna trip you and bring you down. I think we can hear this and think, oh, sin's not that bad. Sin's like that cute puppy, you know? It's like, ah, it's cute. It's just playing around a little scamp. But sin isn't sweet. It's not innocent. Sin wants to take you down. It wants to entangle your legs. It wants to trap you like a bear trap. It wants to pinch closed on your legs and bring you down so that you will die and not finish the race that God has got. 
bit earlier in Hebrews 3 verse 13. It speaks about sin deceiving us and hardening our hearts. Sin changes the way we see things and it hardens our hearts. I think one of the things that's happened over the last year and a half is that we've made some choices to deal with what's been going on. And because of that, we've chosen the way of sin because we think it's actually easier, it's gonna help me, it's gonna feel good. And we choose the way of sin and what happens is sin has deceived us and it's hardened our hearts. So now we find ourselves in a place where we're not too interested in God and the things of God. You know, God seems boring. (laughs) God's stuff seems boring. Coming to church, praying, reading our Bibles, fellowship, whatever it is, it's not too appealing to us right now because actually our hearts are hard to God and the things of God. Our focus is distracted by all of this. It's changed. The things that we should value, we don't value. We're not seeing things the way that they actually are. Sin does that to us. And in the fog of war over the last while, for some of us, we've stopped doing the things we know we should be doing, and we've started doing things we know we shouldn't. It's a coping mechanism, it's a way of getting through this, and it's hurting us, because sin wants to entangle us, trip us up, stop us from running the race we've got, and not finish that race. Sin is not small, it's not cute, it's not like that puppy. Sin wants to take you out. I think for some people we think actually choosing sin is freedom. We think, you know what, actually God's got all these restraints and laws and ways of doing things. Actually, I wanna be free. So we choose the way of sin. We think, just take a break, take a bit of a holiday. I'm just gonna do this for a little while. And we choose the way of sin and then what we find is actually we are enslaved. Sin hinders us, it traps us, it makes us into a slave. And then we realize actually the ways of God were the way of freedom and the way of life. All along we just didn't realize it. If you wanna endure this race, if you wanna get to the finish line, if you wanna do what God has called you to, we need to fight sin. We've gotta remove every hindrance and put it to a side. But the encouragement in Hebrews 11 is that there's a crowd of people that is watching us, that sees us running our race, and that encourages us, and they have overcome their temptations, they've finished their race, they have won the victory over sin, and they've done what God called them to do. It's not impossible, they've done it, and they're cheering us on too. So how do we run the race with endurance? Well, I think it can seem that that crowd of witnesses is the way. That's the key. Just look at them, see their example, hear their encouragement, and you'll be fine. But that's not what the passage says here. Yeah, we can be encouraged by them, but the passage isn't saying be more like them. Be more like Abraham, be more like Moses, be more like Sarah, and you'll finish your race. All you have to do is be like those heroes. But actually what the the passage says here is don't look to them. Actually, keep your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Hold him up as the example that we should look to and examine and consider. And honestly, I love that. I love that because if it was the former, if it was actually looking at these heroes of the faith and how they won their battles and overcome their enemies and did what God called them to do, and if we were being called to do what they did, I'd find that exhausting. It sounds like hard work. They're heroes of the faith for a reason. You know, they were incredible men and women. But this passage doesn't call us to work harder. It calls us to see the right thing. I woke up at 3.40 on Friday morning. Not because I set an alarm. I don't know what it was. I just woke up and I went, okay, the Olympic swimming final is happening now. It's like five minutes time. I'm gonna go through and I watched it and then I went straight back to bed <laughs> because it was a ridiculous time of day. But I, I was uh, sitting there watching and watching all of these swimmers come out and get onto the 
blocks. And just thinking of how stressed out I would be if I was Tatiana Schoenmacher on that block, about to jump in the water. And I was thinking, oh man, she did so well in the quarterfinals, you know, kind of breaking the Olympic record. And then she nearly broke the world record in the semis, but actually she took that extra stroke. And just thinking, what if she jumps off the block badly? Or what if one of her turns isn't perfect? Or what if she just has an off day? Or what if her head's not in it and she misses this moment and doesn't get the gold? And I felt stressed out for her. Like, I just thought of how stressed I would be if I was her on that block. And she won it. She broke the world record. She won South Africa's first gold in this Olympic. It was an incredible race. It was really inspiring. And then I saw this News 24 headline that said 15 years of training for two minutes and 20 seconds. Actually, two minutes and 18 seconds and a couple of split seconds, but anyway. And I thought 15 years of sacrifice and hard work and paying the price and eating a certain way and training a certain amount of times a week and giving up the things you want to do because of the race you want to win. All of that, and yes, she did. She's the best ever. She's got the world record. No one has ever done uh, the race in that time. It's incredible. But if in Hebrews 12, what it said to us is, okay, guys, now that you've been enduring for a long time, all I need you to do is be at the level of an Olympic athlete. Be like Tatiana Schoenmacher and just 15 years of your life, give it everything you've got, and then you should win the race. I would give up. I would throw in the towel. You know, I, I feel tired right now. I feel pretty fatigued. I'm sure many of you do too. If Hebrews 12 said, just try harder, just do it, it would be exhausting. And the scriptures do talk about this. I mean, 1 Timothy 4 says that we should train for godliness. We're, we're called disciples, and disciple and discipline have got the same root. We, we know that we are called to put effort and work into following Jesus, not to earn God's love, but because of God's love. So, so I'm not saying that that's not part of our faith. But what I love here is that in Hebrews 12, when we're tired, when we're called to endure, when we're feeling worn down or discouraged or whatever it is, the Bible doesn't say, be like an Olympic athlete. It doesn't say, be more like Tatiana Schoenmarker, be more like Moses, be more like Abraham, be more like Sarah, and then you'll finish your race, because that would be overwhelming. Yes, we're in a race. Yes, we've got a crowd cheering us on, but the secret here to enduring is not the work that we do, it's what we see. So I want to ask you again, what do you see right now? What do you see? What is filling your vision? What is in front of you? Because Hebrews 12 says, keeping your eyes on Jesus and consider him. He's the focus of these people running this race. That's how we endure. Uh, I know I said this recently, but I've been going through Revelation in my devotional times and just loving the book. It's very weird. It's very different. If you know it, apocalyptic literature is a very different type of thing to read, but it's really encouraged me in the moment we're in. Revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, we hear apocalypse, we think the end of the world, you know? But the word apocalypse actually means an unveiling, an unfolding, a revealing. It's the revealing of Jesus to his people of what is going on. And in Revelation, we see behind the scenes what God is doing in human history and culture and, and among his people. And there are these two dominant commands that come through the book. The first is look or behold. And the second is do not fear. Again and again and again and again, these come through. Look, behold, see, and do not fear. And the reason they're there is we need to be told what to see because we're looking at the wrong things. We're seeing the things that are going on around us, but we're not seeing what God wants us to see. 
We're not seeing things the way God wants us to see them. And because of that, we're fearful. We're anxious because we're not seeing God. We're not seeing him in the midst of them. We, we are filled with fear. So we're told to look and see and not to fear. And one of the big ideas in Revelation is that things are not as they seem. Things are not as they seem. What we see and hear and feel, what, what we perceive, the things that we're taking in with our senses, it's not saying those things are not true. They are true. But what it's saying is that behind the scenes of all of those things, there is other stuff going on. The things that we see and take in with our senses are going on, but they're not everything, and they're not necessarily the greatest or most significant things that are going on. So look and behold what God is doing. And I shared briefly about this from Revelation 1 a few weeks ago. But John the Apostle, Jesus' best friend, he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's looking out over the Aegean Sea at the Turkish mainland. And all the churches that he loves and has pastored, all the people that he loves and pastored are there. And he's worried about them. He's in prison. He can't go and see them. He knows that there's like this persecution going on against the church. He doesn't know if they're safe. He doesn't know what's going to happen. So he's praying. He's praying on a Sunday. And he hears this voice behind him calling to him, and he turns and looks, and he's given a revelation of Jesus. He sees Jesus as pure and powerful and holy and strong. And he sees Jesus holding in his right hand the planets because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules and reigns over everything. That's the vision he's given. He's told to behold or to look, and he sees Jesus as the king, the one in control. A few chapters on in Revelation 4 verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and I love this, and someone was seated on it. The throne is not empty, the throne is full, and Jesus is sitting on the throne of the universe. Now, get this, John is anxious. He's scared, he's fearful, he's unsure of the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen to those he cares about and loves. With, with his senses, he knows what is going on, he can see it. He knows the emperor is persecuting and killing. He's tired and he's worn down. But he's shown behind the scenes to what is going on and he's reminded of who is on the throne. It's not the newspaper headlines that he's been reading. No, Jesus is on the throne. Yeah, the persecution, the suffering, the hardship, all of that is very real. It's happening and it's hard. Some of the things that John faced and the things that you are facing, we're facing, people we love and care about are facing, are real and hard. But he sees that greater than those realities is the unchangeable truth that Jesus holds the planets in his hand and he sits on the throne, that Jesus rules and reigns over everything, that he is in control. And I want to ask you again, what do you see? What do you see right now? Look, behold, Look, see what the scriptures are saying. See what is going on. See Jesus. Do you see Jesus ruling and reigning over your life? Do you see him ruling and reigning over our country? Do you see him ruling and reigning over our situation? Do you see him ruling and reigning over the things that are making you anxious and uncertain? Do you see him ruling and reigning over the economy, the pandemic, the vaccine rollout, the unemployment statistics? Do you see him ruling and reigning over the future? Do you see him ruling and reigning over these very big and real and scary obstacles? Or do you just see the obstacles? Would you look, would you behold, would you see what the scriptures are speaking about? What do you see and what is defining reality for you right now? 
commands of revelation are to behold or look because we're not seeing what we should see and to do not be afraid because we are, because we are. So how do we endure? Hebrews 12 says, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, by considering him, not just looking to him quickly, considering, thinking about, mulling over who he is, looking in the scriptures at what the Bible says about him, spending time with him, seeing him, being with him, being shaped by that reality. Because verse three says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Why? So that you won't grow weary and give up or lose heart. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart or give up. I think there are a lot of people that are giving up or growing weary or losing heart over different things right now because their eyes are on the things. So what do you see? And can I invite you tonight to consider Jesus, to fix your eyes on him? Can I ask the band to come up? We're gonna go out with a song called Cornerstone tonight. And I wanna just read these lyrics to you as they come up and get ready and ask you as we sing this song now to consider Jesus, to look to him. The song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. So as we sing those lyrics, would you do it not, I mean, you might know the song well, not just go through them, but would you consider him? Would you do what Hebrews 12 is saying? And if there's something you need to pray, do that. Speak to him. Look, behold, and do not fear. Come to Jesus with what you are carrying, with what you are thinking, and see him as we run this race.